Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking just at three verses this morning, verses 21 to 23. So let's, let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word that we get to look at together this morning. I thank you that you have reconciled us, brought us back into relationship with yourself through Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me right now in the next 40 minutes or so as I use my voice and my words to try to unpack that for us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help each one of us to hear from this morning's message what you want to impress on our hearts through your word. And I pray that you would speak to us, speak to me and through me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I've got a question to start off this morning with. How many of you have ever seen an alien? You ever seen an alien? I've seen a lot of aliens. When I was living in Minneapolis, we were surrounded by people from other countries. All right, we don't use the term alien usually to describe somebody from another country unless we say illegal alien. Um, but an alien is just simply someone from another place. Uh, we were uh, surrounded by a lot of people from Somalia, actually. And it was really beautiful, a beautiful thing to see, uh, people from so many different cultures. but. They were aliens. They many times felt very out of place. Uh, they didn't speak the English language. They were trying to get jobs, but they felt often on the outside looking in to our culture. Um, maybe you've experienced that feeling of being an alien in a certain setting. Maybe you go to a party where you really don't know anyone. You ever been to a party like that? You're invited, you don't know anybody, or very few people, or the person that invited you ends up not being there or ends up talking with somebody else, and you're just kind of on your own. Um, and you feel outside, looking in. You're an alien. Or maybe you suddenly find yourself a part of a conversation about a subject you know nothing about. Maybe I've been talking with you, and all of a sudden I change the subject to hunting, and you feel like an alien. If I've done that to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you feel on the outside, looking in, alienated a little bit. Maybe church makes you feel alienated. You look around you at people singing songs to Jesus, and you feel like their experience of Jesus and Christianity, um, your experience of Jesus and Christianity is not whatever they're singing about or experiencing. Maybe you feel like your knowledge of the Bible isn't as much as other people's knowledge of the Bible, as other Christians. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. Now, I want to be clear, if you come to church and you're not a Christian, or you haven't given your life to Jesus, there is a sense in which feeling like you're on the outside looking in is a good thing. We want you to feel that. We want you to feel like you're not a part of this Jesus thing yet because we want you to 
have a desire to jump in and to belong to the family of Jesus. If we convince you, make you feel like you're a Christian when you're not really a Christian, that would be a tragedy. We would be leading you into a deception to think things are good with you and Jesus when they're not. So if you're not a believer and you feel like an alien, um, know this, that Jesus' arms are open and so are ours. Come to the Lord Jesus. Um, but maybe you're a believer and you have followed Jesus and you are longing to grow in Jesus, but sometimes you still feel alienated. And I would hope that maybe this sermon, this word would be encouraging to you. Paul wants you to know that because of Jesus, no Christian is an alien. No believer should feel ever that they're outside looking in. God has brought us close. He's brought us as close to himself as his own son Jesus is close. So let's read now Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God. This is in the NIV. See why I use the word alien? Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Your translation might say, in your evil behavior. I think that's actually a better translation. Uh, verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which Paul, I, Paul, have become a servant. So here's the main idea this morning. If you're into writing main ideas down, here it is. Jesus reconciles aliens to himself by his death if they keep believing the gospel. Jesus reconciles aliens to himself, or you could say to God, by his death if they keep believing the gospel. Three points this morning that we'll look at. First, we'll look at the alien life. In verse 21, the alien life, the alienated life, you could say. Second, we'll look at Christ's reconciling death. And third, in the second half of verse 22 up to verse 23, we'll look at what the reconciled life looks like. So one, the alien life. Two, Christ's reconciling death. And then three, the reconciled life. So point one, the alien life. Colossians 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Again, this is the NIV's translation. They, they add the word because there because they're trying to show that the evil behavior is the proof or the support for Paul saying they were hostile to God in their mind. How do I know that you're hostile to God in your mind? Well, look at your life. Your deeds flow out of your mind, out of your heart, and your life is a mess. You're not following the Lord. Therefore, you're hostile to him. A mind that counts God as an enemy doesn't obey God. Now, 
Remember, Paul here, he's reminding the Colossian church of what they were before they met the Lord Jesus and trusted him. He's saying you were characterized by evil behavior, evil deeds. Your life was filled with disobedience to the Lord. What were some of those evil deeds that Paul's talking about? Um, He gives a list later on in the letter. If you would like, you could skip down in Colossians to chapter 3, just a few lines down, verses 5 to 10. Paul gives a list. What what are some of these evil deeds? Um, He tells them to put them to death. He says, put to death, verse 5 of chapter 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That would be their old, alienated from God selves. He says, whatever belonged to that old self that used to be alienated from God, your alien life, put it to death. Here's his list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. That's the alien life. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. And here's another list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and it put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now we're going to get to these verses in just a couple months, probably midsummer. And in these verses, we see that the alien life likes to return. The alien way of life needs to be daily battled with the Spirit's help. But what I want you to see in verse 21 is of chapter 1 is that if any of you, um, if you, any of you sitting here this morning, if you haven't given your life fully to the Lord Jesus, then verse 21 says that you are an enemy of God. An enemy of God, hostile towards him. That's pretty harsh language, especially if you don't feel like you're hostile against God. Maybe you're not passionate in your rejection of God, but whether your rejection of the God of the Bible is a quiet avoidance or a noisy rejection, you're still his enemy. And rejecting God looks different for different people. For example, some people reject God because they just don't want to obey his rules. They don't trust that he has their good in mind when he gives his word on sexual immorality, on greed, on idolatry, on truth-telling, on all the other things in Paul's list. Others, though, reject God's grace and love because they feel they're actually really good people deep down in their hearts and that they deserve God's love and that they don't need his forgiveness. The Pharisees were a whole group of people in the Bible who avoided their need for Jesus and his grace by trying to be good and keep all of God's rules. And when Jesus exposed their sin and pride and their need for Jesus, they became his enemies. They killed him. Good people and bad people alike are all hostile towards the real God in their minds. 
that they've rejected Jesus. The good people don't like God telling them that they're actually still prideful sinners. And the bad people don't like God telling them to stop sinning. And Paul's not afraid. He calls everyone out in Colossians and he says, Listen, before you came to follow Jesus, before you knew the God of the Bible, you were aliens. Whether you were considered a good person by society or by yourself, or whether you're filled with shame over bad choices, it didn't matter. You had rejected the God of the Bible, and you were an enemy of God. Now look at verse 22. But, says Paul, but even though you were once alienated from God, once his enemy, verse 22 but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So that brings us to point two uh, this morning, Christ's reconciling death. How can enemies of God be brought near to him and have a relationship with him? How can enemies become part of the family? How can I be brought near to God? And God's answer is in verse 22. It's through the body of Jesus and the sacrificial death of that body on the cross. You see, in Jesus, God himself came to earth to bring the aliens back home, to bring us back into relationship with him. He came for us. Do you see that in verse 22? It's God doing the action. He reconciled you, and he's done it by the body of Jesus. Your translation might have in. Either translation is possible. In Jesus' body, by Jesus' body. The idea is that if you're connected to Jesus, then it brings you back into relationship with God. But what does Jesus' death have to do with this? Well, Enemies of God have cut themselves off from God in sin and pride. They are alienated from the Lord and from the hope of new creation. If you're an enemy of God, you're living in the darkness. No matter how bright or full of light you feel like your life is, the God that you think you're okay with is not the God of the Bible if he is not the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a God of your own making. And of course, we would be okay with a God of our own making. We would invent a God who we were okay with. Um, that's just human nature. Or a God who had rules that we could keep so that we could feel like we were okay with him. But... The God of the Bible says we are his enemies. We're born into a rebellion against him, and our death will seal our fate. The wages of sin is death. Rejection of the God of life brings death in the end and separation from the God of life. If you reject life, the God of life, you cut yourself off from him. But Jesus didn't reject God. He is the perfect human in complete union and oneness of God with God. He is everything that you and I as humans should have been and were not. 
and yet Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? He died as a sacrifice for you and I. And so now let's think together about the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrificial system. We're not going to go to any specific passages. Just going to summarize. In the sacrificial system of the Bible, found in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, there's two main categories of sacrifice, of something dying so that something else may live. There's sacrifices to cover sin, to deal with your sin problem, and there were sacrifices that represented your desire to be in a right relationship with God. Sin offerings and guilt offerings, they were made to pay for specific sins and guilt that was in your life. They showed sin is serious. Rejecting God is serious. It deserves death. The lamb or goat would die and give his life, bearing your sins so that you could be free of sin's penalty if you trusted in the sacrifice and in the Lord. The burnt offerings and fellowship offerings were another category of sacrifice. So sacrifices for sin and then burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, you would take a spotless and pure animal and you would burn it on an altar and it would go up in smoke to the Lord, ascending through the clouds. And it would represent your desire to ascend into God's presence like that animal holy and blameless in God's sight. It would represent your desire to be in a right relationship with God again, to ascend into the heavens and have a relationship with him, to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord, to be white on the inside of your heart, just like the sheep was white on the outside. That's what it represented. So in animal sacrifice, a life is given so that another life can live. That's ultimately what happens even today when you eat a plant or an animal, correct? A life is given, a plant dies so you can have a salad. The cow dies so that you can have a burger. It gives its life, or its life is taken, sacrificed for you. Sacrifice is woven into the very fabric of the world. We look at the Old Testament, we say, oh, that's gruesome. You ever been in a slaughterhouse? It's at the fabric of our society. Things die so that other things can live. But in the Garden of Eden, God had started something different. In the Garden, he gave so that humans could live forever. He gave a tree of life, a fruit tree that gave so that others may live. This tree represented his own life as the source of all living things, the fountain of life. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel against the God of life. They rejected the God of life. They chose to give their lives to Satan by listening to his way of life. And Satan is the great taker. He promises to give. I'll give you the knowledge of good and evil my way. But in the end, he takes life and he brings death. He gives the pleasure of sin, but in the end, we lose life away from God forever. 
God is the giver. Satan takes. And the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament pointed towards how this would all end. One day, God would give again. So every time the lamb was sacrificed, it was pointing towards when God would give. He would give his own life. And in the Bible story, he would do it again on a tree. Another tree of life. Where the life of Jesus was poured out in blood for the world. There on the cross, Jesus' human life was totally given over to the taker, to the devil. On the cross, the Lamb of God was destroyed by death and by the legions of the prince of darkness, the Romans and the Pharisees, who had allied against themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. But Jesus did not stay dead. He didn't stay in the power of darkness. He took his life right back from the hands of the taker. As he told his disciples in John 10, 18, he says, ultimately, no one takes my life from me. So it might look like they're taking my life, and in a sense they are, but I'm giving it to them to take. No one takes my life from me. He says, I have authority to lay it down and to take it back up again. On the cross, Jesus' blameless life was poured out Enduring the death that every human deserves, even though Jesus did not deserve it. But Jesus did not stay dead. He died as a sin offering in our place for our rejection of the God of life. And then three days later, Jesus was raised from the grave and rose bodily through the clouds, blameless and pure, like the lamb would ascend in the smoke, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And now he stands forever in the presence of the Father as the representative of a new humanity, a humanity who finds life from a new tree of life, from the cross. And the very life of God himself given there on the cross. These are deep waters. God in the garden gives his Eternal life through a tree. Humans rebel and they're cut off. The cross is called a tree. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. On the cross, the tree shows up again. And this time God gives his life in the person of his son. He gives his life for the world, poured out so that we could have a relationship with God through him. See that in verse 22? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Jesus died for your sins and rose again bodily to bring you back to God, pure and blameless in his sight. And this is what we see next in verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. This is the purpose now. To, see the word to, that's a purpose word, to present you holy in his sight. Why did he do this? So that you would be holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's the language the Bible uses of a lamb being sacrificed and its life being offered up to God. 
Leviticus 22, 21-22. I'll just read this as one example among many we could go to. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind and the injured or the maimed or anything with warts or festers or running sores. See that? The animal is supposed to be without blemish, holy and pure, white, no diseases. And this is the aim that God has in saving you and bringing you back into a relationship with himself. His aim is that one day you will ascend into his presence beyond the grave, like the smoke of a burnt sacrifice, you will enter his presence, a spotless lamb, pure and blameless, completely reconciled to him and able to live in his presence. Which is the third point this morning, the reconciled life. The life that has been reconciled to God, the life that he accepts in his presence, is a life that is pure and blameless in his sight through Jesus, the Reconciler. And that's really important to remember because as Christians, we still sin daily. We're still far from blameless and completely pure in our own flesh. But Jesus' life covers us completely. God has reconciled us to himself in Jesus and by Jesus. We come to him still smelling like sin, but Jesus covers us so long as we stick close to him. And this is the final thing to see this morning. The reconciled life is the life that doesn't stop believing. Look at verse 23 with me. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel you heard and that has been proclaimed. I, this, this translation says to every creature under heaven. It could be that or it could be in all creation under heaven. I think that's more the sense Paul's getting at. The gospel's going global is what he's saying, which is what he said earlier. The gospel's bearing fruit and growing in all the world. That's the idea here. Um, and Paul's a servant of this gospel. But that's not the main point I want to focus on here. What I want you to see um, is the first part of verse 23. The reconciled life is the life that doesn't stop believing, that doesn't move from the hope held in the gospel. Christian, there is hope held out to you in the good news about Jesus we talked about it a couple weeks ago. The hope of the good news is what Paul is about to call in verse 27, if you look at 1 verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of the good news about Jesus is the hope that one day you will be raised from the dead and showered with glory and honor forever and ever, just like Jesus was when Jesus was raised and ascended. Your new resurrection body will only be the beginning of the glory and honor that you will experience in the new creation, cleansed of your sin and enjoying the fellowship with God that you were made for. When Jesus appears, your glory and honor will be to reign with him in the new creation forever. This is the eager hope of the one who trusts in Jesus. Faith is simply trusting 
that that hope is true for us. The hope of glory is true for us, and we trust that. It's trusting that Jesus will get us safely through death and into resurrection. And here Paul's telling the Colossians, don't move from that hope and don't stop trusting. Keep trusting Jesus. Established in your faith, firm, don't drift. Why? Because if you don't trust Jesus, then you won't make it. Saving faith is faith that lasts to the end. Here's an illustration for you. Imagine you're drowning in the ocean and I throw you a rope and start towing you to land. The rope is your connection to life. But then imagine you're holding on to that rope and you can't see very well and you, you start to think maybe the rope will break. I might be better off swimming. And so you stop trusting and you let go of the rope. You're not going to make it. Faith only saves if you trust in the Savior and don't let go. There is no other hope. Christian faith is the invisible rope that God uses to tether our hearts to the Lord Jesus. Look at another place where Paul says something similar. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 2. There Paul tells Christians, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if, you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So you are saved if you hold on to the word of the gospel, the good news. If you let go and walk away, your initial trust was in vain. It wasn't saving. It doesn't mean that the trust wasn't real in the moment that you really didn't think you meant it. It just mean it didn't mean you were a faker. Like how many of you have known people that have walked away from Jesus? I've known dozens. Were they faking it? No. Not in the moment. But it wasn't saving trust. How do I know? Because saving trust is finishing trust. This is sobering. This is really serious stuff. And that's why Paul tells the Colossians, you are saved, you are reconciled, if you keep trusting. New Testament warnings like this, God uses them by the Spirit's power to help true Christians keep clinging to Jesus till the end. Don't let go. Keep clinging to Jesus. Remember, he is the way you are reconciled with your creator, both now and forever. He's the only one who can bring you into the presence of God, clean from your sins. Jesus is the ship that will carry you through the waters of death and into the new creation. Only Jesus. And Jesus will hold together even when you feel like your whole life is falling apart. He is a trustworthy vessel. God is reconciling you to himself through Jesus. He's bringing you back through Jesus. Just like Noah made it through the flood in the ark, you will make it through death and God's judgment on sin if you are in Jesus by faith. 
Keep trusting Jesus. Don't let go of the hope. And if you are truly a Christian, the good news includes this hope. Christ is actually in you. The hope of glory. The Spirit of Jesus is in you, helping you hold on. So that whoever is truly of God and born of God will continue to the end. God keeps him. We could go to a host of other passages that talk about that. At the last day, when you stand before the throne, it's not your strength to hold on to the rope that's going to ultimately be praised, but the strength of Christ in you. He will get the glory. And one, like I said a minute ago, one of the purposes of warnings like this, that if you continue and don't be uprooted from the faith, these warnings are ways that the Spirit within us wakes us up, says, wake up, you're drifting, you're drifting, don't let go. Cling to Jesus. The Spirit uses the word to awaken faith again in our hearts and reignite in our souls trust in the Lord Jesus. Now I just want to conclude again by saying the main idea. Jesus reconciles aliens to himself by his death if they keep believing the gospel. And there's many ways we could apply this to our lives today. Here's just a few. First, if you are sitting here this morning and you feel like I might still be alienated from God because I really haven't ever placed my faith in Jesus. I've never made that choice. Then please don't leave this morning without asking the Lord Jesus to reconcile you from your sins to to God, to, to bring you back. To the Father, don't leave today without making things right with God through Jesus. You need to repent and turn. You could talk to me afterwards if you'd like, or Carl, any one of us who know Jesus would love to pray with you. Second, maybe some of you feel like I am reconciled to God. Um, or at least I, I feel like I used to be, but maybe I'm drifting from faith in Jesus or from following Jesus. I don't feel like I'm rooted and grounded in him, like this verse says. Or maybe I am, but I feel like my roots are coming up. My hope in Jesus is drying up. And I want to ask this question to you. What is eating your faith? What is uprooting your trust in Jesus? Is there something? Is it unrepentant sin in your life? Unrepented of sin is not the fruit of real faith in Jesus. When your life is actively living in disobedience to Jesus, you will find trusting Jesus increasingly difficult. If this is the case for you, bring what is in darkness into light. Confess your sins to God and others. 
If the fires of doubt are burning in your life, sin only dumps gasoline on them. Sin dumps gas on the fires of doubt. But perhaps you do have genuine doubts. You have unresolved questions about Christian, the Christian faith. Most serious-minded Christians have doubts arise in their hearts from time to time. But a lot of folks are scared to talk about them. If that's you and you, you have genuine doubts that rise, ask the questions. Cry out to the Lord with your questions. God can handle our questions. Ask with humility and sincerity. However, when we get answers, we must distinguish between answers to our questions that we disagree with logically or answers that we just don't like. Like there's answers that we say, no, that doesn't make sense. Logically, that's a contradiction. Or there may be just answers that we say, um, I don't like it, but I need to accept it and allow God to reshape my categories of how I view the world. There are answers to our questions. Not all the answers may be equally satisfying. And if they aren't satisfying, it may at the end of the day be an area where we need to trust the goodness of our Creator in the things that we do see and understand and use the trust in Him in areas that we are confident about to strengthen us for facing uncertainty in other areas does that make sense like there's certain things we we know that there's beauty and goodness in the world you look at the gorgeousness of the creation around us and say what a beautiful god allow that to strengthen your heart when it looks like the world's falling apart and allow the cross ultimately to be the place where your feet run every day with your questions. There is great evil in the world, but we serve a God who's not immune to it. This is connected to the next thing I want to say is perhaps what's shaking your faith is suffering and hardship in your life or in the lives of people close to you. And for you, the best thing to do is to run to Jesus and embrace him as the man of many sorrows who knows your grief and your pain to the very bottom. Remember, it was his death that brought you near to God. And it is in remembering his death, the life of God poured out for you, that you can be brought closer to God still. And the closer you draw near to Jesus in pain and in hardships, the deeper your roots of faith and trust in him will go. But maybe there's, you feel like there's no one reason why you feel far from God today. Maybe you just need to be reminded like the Colossians did, that you have been reconciled to God. And so I just want to end with this. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus with simple trust, I trust Jesus, then you are reconciled to God. You are close to him. No matter how you feel in the moment, 
He has brought you near. You will never be more accepted in His sight than you are right now. You will never be more forgiven than you are right now because of Jesus. You will never be more loved by God than you are right now through Jesus. Your shame, your guilt will never be more covered by God than it is right now through your reconciliation to God in Jesus. You'll never belong to his family more than you do right now. You'll never be more welcomed. You'll never belong more. You are in. You are welcomed. He has accepted you. He has brought you near. You're as near to him right now as Jesus himself is. And one day, you will stand before him pure and blameless, beyond the grave, because of Jesus. If you don't let go. And as I said before, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that for those who are truly the children of God and have that finishing faith, it is the Spirit, Christ in them, who keeps them holding. But, once again, the Spirit uses warnings like this, the don't be uprooted warnings, to stir up in our hearts a desire to run again to the Lord Jesus and embrace him in faith. He has brought us near. I'll close this time with the words from Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14, where Paul says a very similar thing. He says, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, your translation might have transferred us, Either way. Transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You have forgiveness of sins in Jesus. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning to cling more tightly to the Lord Jesus. Strengthen our hands to hold fast because we cannot do it apart from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to stay close to you. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that is making us feel far off, I pray that you would just overwhelm it right now with a spirit-given desire to be close and to feel the closeness that Jesus has won for us. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone sitting in this room today who is your enemy still, who is not worshiping and following the God of the Bible, 
as revealed to us through Jesus, I pray that they would be reconciled. That your Holy Spirit would awaken in their hearts the miracle of new birth and that they would want to follow Jesus. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.